Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is David Esau and this is The C86 Show. Welcome once again to another thrilling ride of life as I bring you the finest in indie pop from that golden decade. As always, I've been searching high and low to find another special guest. And this week it's going to be the turn of that bloggy because I spoke to the vocalist and their main man. I think he is basically the band, David Edwards, to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that groovy stuff, plus his life in music. So I've got that interview that I'll break up, so it's going to be very riveting. But I think I'm going to start with your favourite and mine. This is going to be a track taken from a John Peel session, which I'm not going to pronounce the Welsh uh, name, but this is, uh, in brackets, Land on My Back. My sister put on her space. Amazing sounds. That is that bloggy, and that was a track t- titled Land on My Back. Well, you know, 
I'm not, I'm going to have to confess here, probably going to even attempt to um, pronounce many of the, or any of the Welsh names of these songs. I'm going to play, so I'm going to have to do the um, English in brackets versions. Anyway, I'm doing my best, give me a break. This is David Eastall, this is the C86 Show, and this week's special guest is David Edwards, who I spoke to, um, actually that was quite a long time ago. And um, I remember it well, and I've been thinking I must just do a special on the band. Um, So I thought, let's make that a priority and do it. And there it is. So anyway, um, just before we have any more music and chat, I'll just do some admin. Um, If you want to contact me, you can via Facebook, Twitter. Just go to at C86show. I will be there or here and um, keep it positive, groovy and all that kind of stuff. Otherwise... Don't bother. Um, life's too short. And also, I've been doing this show for two and a half years. You can find them because I've archived them on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean and Mixcloud. Yes, the magic four. Um, so, yes, check that out. Anyway, I think we're going to play one more track and then the first part of my interview. This is also a John Peel taken from a John Peel session. And this is Rugged. Don't want it to stop. That is a track titled "Rugged." Um, that uh, was came came from a John Peel session. I think that was 1988, but um, it was probably produced by Dale Griffith. They were all were uh, back in the day. Um, I don't know. That's a sweeping statement, I know, but I always seem to remember that uh, that famous producer who was a one-time member of Mott the Hoople seemed to always be mentioned by um, Mr. Peel. Anyway, this is David Eastall, the C86 Show. Um, this week's special guest is going to be Dak. Bl- 
bloggy because I spoke to David Edwards um, recently. Actually, that's a lie, quite a long time ago to uh, find out more about his life in music. And after a long and interesting chat we had, as the interview began, which I've actually edited and deleted, um, I then asked him if he could uh, give us the background to um, the band and also his own life. And this is it. David, you're going to tell us everything. Well, hopefully. Anyway, take it away. My name's David R. Edwards, and uh, the R stands for Rupert. And I was born in 1964 and in West Wales and, you know, um, did everything that, you know, my generation did. Went to school, college, worked, um, got menial jobs. And uh, uh, I formed up Luggy in 1982 when I was 17 with my school friend, Wynne Davis. And two years later, um, Pat. Patricia Morgan joined, and uh, we carry on 36 years after the group started. Well, that's so a Patricia, fun... Yeah, so that's mm-hmm. um, so that's a so you are a three piece. Have you all you know? Was it always a three piece? No, we're not the three piece anymore. Wynn left in 1990, but um, Pat Pat's been there since 1984, and it's been her and me mainly. But we have you know had other musicians in. They've come and gone, and they've contributed. You know, all, all you know at various periods during the thirty-six years, but it's uh, Patricia and myself. Uh, we uh, we uh, we've been the basis of Duplogi over the decades, and uh, you know, I just say the musicians have come and gone, but uh, at the moment it's just two of us. Yes. So why did you? Uh, so, so why did you form a band in '82? Because this was a post-punk period when indie pop yeah. was, was about to sort of explode. That's right. Well. Really, I, I really had to form the group, David. Uh, there was no choice. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, really, I, I wanted to do it in my mother tongue, which is Welsh, because there was hardly anything in the language and the culture generally that I could identify with. So I had to do it myself, uh, together with Patricia, and before the win. And Patricia's um, doing it myself, and... Uh, Patricia's fantastic commitment and genius, you know, uh, gives me, uh, you know, sort of a stage to do the lyrics and uh, vocalise. Yes. And did it? And did mm. the sound come together quite quickly? I mean, because often the bands can spend a bit of time making various noises, but sometimes not really mm. getting anywhere that quickly or making a noise that mm. makes them a little bit different to any other bands, which kind of gets mm. them that kind of exposure. So how, did, how quickly did it sort of form when you thought, actually, we've got something here? Well, pretty much from the beginning, really. Um, I remember, I'll give you an example. I, I remember... We, I, I had a four-track tape recorder, you see, that's how we did We started off making cassettes before we started making vinyls and later on CDs. Um, and I remember playing a, a, t- a demo tape to my mother. And we had, didn't have a name at the time. And uh, she listened to this and she said, I've never heard anything like this in the Welsh language before, she said. Uh, or really anything similar in any language. Huh. Uh, why didn't he call the band Dapluggy? And I said, that's a great idea, ma'am. Um, Dapluggy means progress, evolution and development, all in one word, you see, David? Yes. Mm. Yeah. 
And and obviously, I mean, um, I you know, having sort of grown up, listened to people like the uh, Copto Twins or the Bundu Boys and people like that, often you know, mm. the, you know, obviously the the vocal is important, though one doesn't always know what people are singing. So so with with Daft Bluggy, um, again, you know, you you stuck with your sort of native language or, or your tongue. Mm. I mean, did yeah. that did that seem like a big thing at the time? How do you mean, David? Well, did it seem like, God, you know, we've got to sit down. Should we sing in English, which, you know, most people would, or should we mm. stick with this? I didn't, I, you know, did you have to sit there and, and contemplate it and sort of... And not sort really. Mm, no, not really, David, because there, there, there always was a Welsh language music scene before John Peel picked up on it. And uh, really, the majority of it, I didn't like it at all. So we wanted to do something that was, you know, <laughs> to uh, what we were hearing in Welsh, yes. and we were in, we were influenced really by what John Peel was playing. So we wanted to do that sort of modern music, you know, John Peel type music, post punk or whatever you want to label it as, uh, but with Welsh lyrics and hopefully you know saying something rather than a lot of the Welsh language stuff was diabolical. Right, because actually. Mm. Um, I grew up with in that. Actually, I'm the same age as you. I just realised. Um, so I think about you. You're, you're 54. 50, yep, 54. 64. All right. 64 is a great year. And um, yeah, vintage, David. Vintage. vintage year. Yeah. Yes, and St David's Day is very important for obvious reasons to me. Um, that's why I'm called David. You see. Um, yes. <laughs> really. I was born on St David's Day. Were you really? Matt's the first, good gosh. Yes, I know. My parents went, oh, mm. what shall we call him? So look, and I mean, was there a, a scene? Were you the only band uh, that was indie, punk, post-punk, singing in Welsh, or were there other bands like you around? Well, when we started off, there were, well, there were a couple, but then by the mid-'80s, something called Andrem Records started, you see. And uh, we, we, they put out a compilation um, which included a kirf, which uh, the members later went on to form uh, Catatonia, that had hits. Yeah. And uh, they also had, well, various other bands. Uh, but they were, yeah, they were, but none of the bands sounded like us. Yeah. All the bands were underground, but they're all had a different take on post-punk. So there were other bands, but, you know, we were pretty, we, we were pretty much unique. Yes. So mm. that, that was that compilation. I always remember, actually, a few years later, John, mm. Peel, John Peel playing one of those um, on Sub Pop Records, um, Sub Pop 100, which featured all yeah. those great bands from the Seattle grunge scene. So obviously with, right. so with this compilation, this obviously elevated you into the next kind of like a bigger arena because people like me were sort of on the, you know, the other side of the country listening to it, thinking, oh, this is very interesting. So did you, <laughs> feel, did you feel a sort of a wave of excitement when when you started to get this added exposure and sort of, uh, I suppose, picking up listeners from all over the place? Well, that was fantastic. John Peel is, you know, we've got to thank him by large because in Wales, Welsh language radio, it's just sort of the barge pole, really. I mean, they play one or two things, but very infrequent. And John Peel used to play all the time, you know, and uh, um, 
the Welsh language people, uh, they weren't very supportive because they didn't like what I was saying. John, you know, I used to translate things to John, so he knew what we were saying, and he supported us. Yes. So it, it was a great job. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was saying, um, well, I wasn't saying actually, I was just thinking that um, obviously during this period there was a sort of a huge amount of pol- political sort of... Uh, strife going on there was the red wedge movement and there had been rock mm. against racism and, and everybody was mm. getting very angsty so obviously you all sort of um were picking up on this same sort of um youthful anger that we felt in a divided country yeah it was a terrible time there people you know when you tune into like some shows now on the radio you know plane hits from the 80s you know i, I can't remember who does it on radio too but um you know, they seem to say what a fantastic time it was. And looking back, I mean, the Falklands War, the miners' strike, and everything else. You know, I mean, I said in one song uh, in 1993 in an album we put out then that the 1980s were a psychological holocaust. Yes. Well, I, I agree. I mean, you know, I, I sort of, I sort of sarcastically often talk about the golden decade, but I know that. Um, we we mostly spent the time sort of feeling quite sort of um, slightly worried that we were going to be annihilated in the nuclear war and also yes. Oh, exactly. Mm. Uh, so so that was that was also kind of going on. So when you did your because obviously you did a John Peel session or two that must have felt very exciting because most of the bands I've spoke to who have done John Peel sessions really enjoyed it because the recording they mostly did back in their hometown weren't that good. So that when they got to sort of record at Maida Vale or one of the other studios with a great producer, mm. they made a sound that they thought, God, this sounds so much better than anything we've recorded before. So I wondered what your yeah. experience was of the John Peel sessions. Well, the John Peel sessions were very, very, very exciting and I loved every minute of the... We did five for them between 87 and 93 and it's available on the... CD actually on Angst Music Records, uh, the whole lot, um, you know, 20 songs, five sessions, and, you know, um, the whole process, getting in a car and driving to London, or getting on a train and driving to London, and getting to Maiderville and walking in, you know, there's a plaque on the wall there saying, Ding Crosby did his last recording here, and you're thinking, bloody hell, you know, I mean... <laughs> very exciting and uh, you know you could feel the ghosts there you know the Beatles and whoever been whoever had been there yes. and um, it was terrific and that is the first part of my interview with David Edwards from that bloggy um, talking about those early years anyway this is David Eastall The C86 Show I think we're going to play some more music and then We'll have more quality chat. Indeed we will, he says. Anyway, this is, um, I know, I've taken from John Peel Station. This is, um, I'm so predictable. Anyway, this is Idiot Fanzine, which is in brackets. Um, Again, no, I'm not even going to go there with the Welsh uh, attempt of that. Anyway, um, yes, that's me. I'm just a bit of a coward. Fancy and fetching, fancy and fetching. 
Yes, mesmerising. I just, it all comes back. Anyway, that is uh, that bloggy in a track titled Idiot Fanzine. It was a John Peel. Um, Safe for taking from a John Peel session. There you go. Anyway, this is the second part of my interview with David Edwards from the band. Um, and I've been talking about um, the, the, yes, the creative process and that sort of making the first album where you've got lifetimes of work and then having to try and find the second album somewhere within your aura probably and um, yes yeah, so I've just was I was just kind of curious to know if the songs and the material will come together relatively easily in those early years and this was David's reply David tell us more yeah we'd been uh, we'd recorded cassettes between 82 and 85 and then we'd done uh, an EP and tracks on a compilation two compilation LPs but by the time we came to the first album so we'd done a lot of recording anyway but by the time we came to the first time we think all right we're going to do a vinyl we're going to make it good john peel picked up on that played it to death and then uh two years later we we released an album called pissed p-y-s-t which means posts i was i was a school teacher at the time and i was sitting on a sunday night drinking a glass of vodka and smoking a cigarette tuning into john peel and first thing he did he said uh if you've never bought a Welsh language record in your life, go out and buy this one. And he played the first three tracks on it, one after the other. And I was sitting there thinking, gee, uh, what am I doing getting up tomorrow morning um, teaching children when I could make some sort of career out of this, you know? You know, the guy who found... Uh, you know, the, the guy discovered Bowie, Ball and Roxy Music, etc., etc., etc. And, I, you know, he, he was like... Uh, including that bloggy and all of that. So I thought, well, I'll concentrate on that. So that's what I did. Yes, for the next... So did did the, the world of um, rock and roll and a certain amount of fame change you? 
<laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, it changes everybody, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's a microcosm, isn't it? You know, I mean, we, we weren't worldwide, world-renowned or anything. I mean, or, or even nationally known. But to be on John Peel, you know, I mean, there were, uh, in our generation, David, I mean, people born in the 60s, grew up in the 70s, and then by the 80s we were young adults. We are all listening all over the country. So when we used to go to play in places like Leeds or Manchester or London, Portsmouth, Bristol, you know, Cardiff, obviously, and uh, various other points in Wales, you know, there'd be people turning up and wondering what was going on and showing interest. So, yeah, it was great. Yes. And um, as as I sort of found with a lot of the doing a lot of these shows is that most bands last five years and most of it is like mm. they, they make a sound, they get a single, you know, if John Peel played it, great, they get a session, they do the album, that's all going well. The second album, a bit tricky. If anybody ever does America, that seems to finish them off. So basically five years, but you managed to sort of creep into the 90s. Did you have a, a did it sort of come to a, this is the end, to quote Jim Morrison? Oh yes, it, uh, yeah. By ninety, mm, by ninety five. Uh, sorry, carry on. No, uh, yeah, sorry. I just get repeating. I was just interrupting you there. I was just going to say, you know, to quote Jim Morrison, did it have you know a moment where you thought this is the end? <laughs> yeah, um, in nineteen ninety five, I think we put out a single a song called Alcohol and another song called Amnesia, and uh, John P played it. But by the following year, my health had deteriorated. Basically, I don't know, mental issues and too much alcohol and too much, you know, uh, obscene. So we didn't split, but we put it on the back burner for a long time. And then um, in 2007, 2008, we still thought, well, Let's start recording again and playing live, and that's what we did. Um, so we, we're still making records to this very day. You know. Yes. So that period, because a lot of this is what a lot of people have done as well, was that things were really going bad, and they just mm. had to sort of walk away and just kind of get, mm-hmm. I suppose, get help or whatever. I mean, was this yeah. something that those years between ninety five to two thousand and twelve was that a period where? you had to get things sorted in your personal life. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, my um, various personal relationships with women had almost pushed me over the edge, to be honest. Uh, I won't elaborate, but uh, it was one after the other. And, uh, you know, your nervous system can only take so much, you know. So, yeah, in the end, I had to pull myself together, uh, you know, cut down on the drinking. I still drink, but not to the extent that I used to drink. I used to drink loads, but I mean, I still have a little social drink. Or a drink. I mean, I'm having a drink, I'm having a vodka and lying now on a cigarette, but only because I'm talking to you. It's like talking to you in a pub, isn't it? Yes. Um, but before, I mean, I was having a bottle of whiskey for fucking breakfast, you know, so... God, you, it, was, was, it was a bit like Charles Bukowski, wasn't it, really? You're sort <laughs> Yeah, he's my, uh, well, yeah, Bukowski um, is my literary hero. I mean, I'd been writing since well, since I was a kid, but I didn't 
come across him. I was introduced to him on a work, on a lunch break in 1987. I just looked over at my work colleague and he was reading Totem, the uh, novel by Bukowski. And I said, what are you reading there? And he passed it on and started reading it. I thought, good God, this is fantastic. So obviously I read everything else he wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And did you, I mean, obviously Pat has stuck by you with great, yeah. great loyalty. You must owe an awful lot to her. Oh, of course I do, yeah. She's a genius. She's a wonderful woman. And she's one of my best friends in the world. Um, we had a relationship. We were boyfriend and girlfriend mm-hmm. between 1984 and 1987. And then we split up and, you know, um, there was always a friendship there. And the, the band was always there. I mean... There wasn't any question, even though our personal relations had deteriorated to nothing. There wasn't any question that she wouldn't be involved with the music. So she's always been on board. Yes, and she must have must have worried about you as you sort of were heading for that rock and roll kind of suicide, to quote David Bowie, moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's been very uh, helpful very constructive, helped me get, you know, my feet back on the ground in touch with reality again. She's she's brilliant. Pat's great. I mean, not just as a musician, but as, as a human being. Yes. And 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 then sort of making music and being part of the pro, uh, creative process again, did that come together relatively straightforward, you know, as a straightforward thing, or did it sort of feel a bit of a struggle on sort of the second, the second return. Oh, okay, coming back in sort of 2012. Yeah, that's when we really started properly again. Yeah, no, not really. It was like um, easy. Um, you know, I just thought, well, you know, I'm here for X amount of time. You know, I suppose I am a musician and a, a singer, so I might as well get on and do it. So that's what I did. Yes. And one oh. thing that I've noticed when, you know, speaking to a lot of people, obviously when they start out, they, you know, it's difficult to know if it's going to happen or not. And if it does start to happen, you know, there's no time to think about it. And the, and the sort oh. of getting the admin and the publishing sorted and then sort of working out that you're not getting too ripped off is a kind of an oh. issue that a lot of people don't understand. Did you manage to navigate oh. those publishing and kind of the keeping the copyright of your music? Yeah, we... we... By 1991, we'd signed to uh, Angst Music Records, Angst Records to begin with, and then Angst Music. And, well, you know, we're, we're best friends. The guy who runs it, Emir, and me, and we're Pat, and we're, the three of us really get on, and Emir and me, we trust each other, you know. Um, so, yeah, he sorted all the publishing out. Excellent. And it must be quite... Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people have a love-hate relationship with things like Spotify, but you, you being able to archive your music so that people can access it must be quite a nice thing that it's there. But I know sometimes it then means your royalties don't always sort of match your sort of hope or expectations. So did you... Do you sort of find that, you you know, you've managed to sort of carry fans along with you? Yeah, um, I mean, I haven't got a computer myself. Um, the, the only um, concession I make to modern technology is this mobile phone I'm talking to you on. Uh, and I borrowed that off Pat. She lent it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't even got a tele- I haven't even got a television set. I mean, all I've got is my music, my radio, my 
you know, compact discs and record player, tape machine. That's basically it. Uh, with Spotify, I mean, people come up to me in the street and say, "Oh, I saw you on. I saw the, uh, your videos." This happens all the time. Not every day, but you know, now and again. And I said, "Well, what do you think?" And I talk about what what they thought. And uh, yeah, I'm glad the music's out there. You know, I mean, the prime motivation for making music for me wasn't money at all. I mean, the money is nice, but that wasn't the motivation. You don't. Somebody once said, you know, if you, if your motivation in life is to go out there and do things for money, you're going to fail. If you're doing something because you love doing it, whatever it is, you're going to succeed. Now, we didn't dominate the world, but, you know, as far as success is concerned, within the parameters that I wanted to operate within, I think we, we, we've succeeded. The fact that you're talking to me now. Very true. There you go. Um, that is the second part of my interview with David Edwards from That Bloggy, talking about the creative process and also, yes, keeping it real. Indeed. Anyway, um, I think we'll play one more track and then the uh, next and last part of the interview. This is, again, that bloggy. I mean, if you like the band, this, go- this show is solid gold, easy action. I mean, fill your boots. Um, and if you don't know them, you should because they are stunning. This is going to be, um, yes, I told you that, what the song's going to be tied, um, t- the title of the song. So um, I'm not going to repeat it. Take it away, boys. Oh, I'm 
Indeed, slow to fade. That is, um, he says, looking up in a wistful way. That is uh, that bloggy in the track titled Gareth's Bags um, that, um, again, was taken from a John Bill session. I love that album, by the way, just in case you didn't, um, couldn't guess. Anyway, this is going to be the um, fourth and final part of my interview with uh, David Edwards from the uh, band, and basically is the band, with Patricia, um, where I've been talking about the creative process to him. And um, yes, spending time on things that make you happy and also worthwhile. And um, after that exciting comment that I made, this was David's reply. David, do you agree? Look, uh, it seems that you and me are coming from the same direction, David. It's very refreshing talking to you. I agree with you completely there. Yes, I know those mm. work-related meetings. They're always so fun. But um, well, I think I think I think I could elaborate about the whole capitalist system and the whole work ethic and all that stuff. You know, uh, it's a bit of nonsense. Yes, because because a few years ago, actually, it's probably now nearly a decade, you were you were part of a documentary that followed your life and sort of you know battles with sort of mental illness. Did that feel mm. kind of? both scary and a kind of a relief to be able to sort of just talk about it and just to say, this is it. Well, yeah, I did that with um, a friend of mine, Rianne Davis, her name is. She, she does similar problems. And uh, we, we've been friends for ooh, over 30, nearly 30 years. I met her in university in the, in the late 80s. And uh, she'd send back in vocals on several Duplugy songs. And when we had the offer to do that, I thought, well, yeah, uh, it'd be nice to say my story. But looking back on it, it was quite a hellish thing to go through, actually. Yes. Did it also mm. feel a certain amount of... It's tricky to think of the word, but sometimes when people just say this is what's happened, they kind of offload stuff. I suppose that's it, and they kind of then feel mm. quite quite a relief that they've just kind of well, I've just I've been holding it and carrying it, and it's weighed me down. Mm. I've just told it, and now it's kind of out mm. there, and it feels almost like it's gone. I know it's slightly simplistic, but at the same time, quite a few times yeah. people, people can feel well. At least some people, know, other people will now know, and will go, oh, yeah. right. You know, and it's a lot about judgment because often people think, "God, that person's mm. a bit, bit difficult or hard." Then you hear this backstory, mm. and you think, "Oh, okay, I need to sort of um, just have a rethink about how I approach that person, or not be yeah. so judgmental." So I just wondered if that had a similar effect with you and your life. Yeah, you know, I've had people um, do documentaries with me on the radio and stuff, saying that I'm a weird one. You know, an odd sort of character, and I'm not really. You know, I mean, I I experienced uh, diff- mental difficulties. But I think mental illness is just a label, anyway. I think it's all part of the human condition. I don't know what the statistics are, but something like um, <laughs> one in four people will experience some sort of um, mental problems in their life. You know, you know, mental illness in their lives. And in Britain, mm-hmm. one in four, and that's a high. Uh, that's a high proportion, isn't it? Twenty-five percent. Yes. Well, I probably uh, probably one in four do admit it, and three and four are just yeah, in. and loads of others don't. They just carry on with the grind and put a brave face up to the world and carry on. This is true. And what would you? Mm. Because obviously, you've you've had you know like a whole lifetime in the creative world and made a huge mm. amount of music and done a lot of things. I mean, what would you? 
looking back on that, would say to an eight, your 18-year-old self that was starting out in the rocky and the interesting world of music? Well, the, the only thing I regret is that I, I didn't do it full-time from the beginning. What I just should... Well, <laughs> thought I'd be dead now if I had, but uh, what I'm saying is uh, my parents and, you know, various social pressures were forcing me in other directions, go to college, so I went to college went to work, various meagre, um, not meagre, mundane jobs. Uh, what I'd say to an 18-year-old is, my 18-year-old my, my me or any 18-year-old, uh, do what you want to do, whatever it is. It's your wagon to the stars. Don't let other people, and especially your parents, tell you what to do. You know, you should do, you're only on this at once. So you should do what, exactly what you want to do. You know, within, as long as you don't tread on anybody else's toes or hurt anybody deliberately, you should do what, exactly what you want to do. That is good advice. I think that is... Do you reckon? It's the best advice ever, absolutely. You know, it's do you a, reckon? Oh, yeah, and I always like the fact that you put in there as long as you're not hurting anybody else because I think that yes. that is the key I mean I think I think there's two things that make the world a better place kindness and creativity and if you oh yes and I think that if you get that balance and that oh. kind of and it's almost a purity then you know yes. you know you're going to be a joy to yourself but you'll also be a joy with other people around you and that is kind of like a great life lived mm yeah, I don't regret anything, really. I mean, other than the fact that I went ill. But, I mean, you know, that was periodic, you know. There was 20 years of it off and on, between 96 and a couple of years ago. Um, you know, but at the moment, at Wood, I'm, I'm doing pretty well and taking it every day as it comes and being optimistic and... Carrying on, you know, right, is what I, I mean, you know, I'm a writer. That's what I do. I write lyrics and I vocalise them. And, you know, people are, some people are interested in what I'm doing. And but I'm doing it because I love doing it myself. And then it's a bonus that other people get something out of it. Yes. Oh. And obviously, I mean, your last album, or mini album that came out in 14, have you, are you mm. sort of planning and working on new, new material? Well, we did another one in 2015 called Portal Trashlord, which means Tribulation Browser. That was a vinyl and a CD. Uh, you're probably not aware of that, but uh, yeah, that got, that got good reaction. Excellent. Sold, so, you know, sold uh, in it, you know, for the people who actually wanted to buy it. <laughs> you know, didn't hit the charts or anything, but, you know, we never have. But uh, yeah, we're doing another one now. Um, for next year, we're, we're in the process of putting all that together. So yeah, we've done most of the recording for that Excellent. new one, and then and then this Christmas, uh, our 1993 album Libertino is coming out on double vinyl for the first time. So you know the original 20 tracks plus few um, bonus tracks from. The same uh, from the same time that Libertine was recorded. So yeah, that's what we've we're doing at the moment. 
Yes. And obviously, just lastly, I mean, you were quite a huge influence on a lot of Welsh bands that came through probably in the following decade, you know, especially the 90s. So that must have felt mm. like a, you must have felt a bit like a trailblazer, sort of, you know, marching through the doors. Well, it was a bit odd because I remember being in, there's a you know, famous band called Super Furry Animals, and they were being interviewed in uh, the NME. My 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 mum brought me in a copy of the NME to the hospital where I was located, and I was, oh, I'll read this about the Super Furry Animals, and you say, no, David R. Edwards is a combination between Bill Hicks and Jesus Christ. He said, well, is it, you know, I was thinking, hmm, and I was showing that to people in the hospital, and I was saying, uh. And they were saying to me, that's not you, is it? And I said, yes, it is. And they wouldn't believe me. Um, you know, the staff, the nurses were dubious and the patients thought, you know, it was crazy than they were. But yeah, when you get to things like that said about you, it makes you think really, but... Um, yes. Mm. I guess it was a bit like... Yeah. One of those kind of one who flew over the cookies nest, like saying, "This is really me." No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, 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 yeah. But mm. yes, because obviously the nurse would go, "Oh my God, he's really got this disillusion." This disillusionment. Yeah, they but, thought they thought it was that delusion to grandeur, but I, just, yeah, I was in the bloody newspaper in the NME. You know, you're being talked about, and they wouldn't believe me. Yes. Um. Is. So. It, it was uncomfortable, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah, this is good. But anyway, I know. But you, you would have influenced, I'm sure, quite a few of those bands that came through around the nineties. Yeah, which oh. is great. Which is good. But look, David. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. Thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this interview. I really appreciate it. And you well, know, I really enjoyed it. And that is going to be the last part of my interview that I had with um, David Edwards from That Bloggy. A huge thank you for giving me the time for that because, um, yes, always very appreciative. Um, anyway, that's, this has been David Eastall, the C86 show. And um, without sounding too desperate, if you want to contact me, you can via Facebook, Twitter. Just go to at C86 show. I will be there. And all the shows have been archived on Facebook, Twitter, um, Spotify, iTunes, and again, C86 show is all good. Anyway, I'll leave you with another track by the band, um, which I'm, I can't, there's not, I, this isn't actually from a John Peel session, and it's something like Why Tim Lad. Um, anyway, I hope that was vaguely close. Anyway, have a great week. Thank you for listening.